Um, the scripture today is from Luke 22, verses 14 through 23. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes out as, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it, would be, it could be who is going to do this. Word of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Sweetie, I think this has your name on it. have all over it. Could you see? Pictures of me and you. Uh-huh. And this one right here. See that one? That's our first official photo of you and me as a couple. See that? Did you know I was good looking right away? Everybody in the whole hospital was talking about it. Are you kidding? But this good looking was beyond my imagination. Are you dying? What do you think? Yes. Then I won't see you anymore. Well, you won't see my body, but... You know how a caterpillar becomes something else? A butterfly. Yeah. You just have to think of me as, um... Off-flying somewhere, hmm? And of course, the magician We've been spending um, the last couple of weeks in our community group 
working through some of our Anglican history and the last few weeks have been uh, going through the 39 articles and um, one of the things that is in the 39 articles are the two sacraments of the church, one being baptism, the other being uh, communion, the Eucharist, and that's what we'll talk about today. For those of you who uh, are attending virtually, I've gotten a bunch of emails saying, hey, we want, we want some of that study, and we're trying to make that resource available. It's just, uh, well, it's a complicated thing, but we'll get that to you as, as, as soon as we can. So today, in our scripture, the setting is the Passover, and um, it's Jerusalem, so if you are a Jew and you are celebrating Passover, there's no better place on earth than to do it in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter. It is the kind of, it's like the Washington, D.C., right? It is the center of the promised land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who became Israel, and his son Joseph. Right? And this is where the children of Israel formed and were put into bondage and slavery in Egypt. And then on to Moses and the Exodus and Joshua and the taking of the promised land. So the, the age of the judges has passed. The ages of the kings has failed. The time of the prophets has come and gone. It's been 400 years there's been this man named John the Baptist, but they're still not, still not sure he's a prophet, so it's the age of the prophets is over, and here we are in Jerusalem. They have been a people in and out of exile. Everything that the Mosaic law promised would happen if they departed from God has happened, and they've been back and forth. Everything that the prophets warned has happened to them. And now they're in exile in their own land. So the Jews are in Jerusalem, but it's no longer the land of Israel. It is now the Roman province of Syria. And they're looking for God to redeem them once again. And so this is the culture in which we find ourselves today. And it's a culture that's very resistant to change. Rome is doing everything it can to secularize and standardize the empire. And Judea, so Syria here, is the eastern border of the Roman Empire. And these people have parts of their culture inbred into them. They're very resistant to change. This has always been true. This is the area now known as the Middle East. They they don't like for a culture to come in and try to take over. And this is how it was with the Jewish people. So as much as the culture is being standardized, the Jewish clergy still hold tremendous sway over the hearts and the minds of the people. And there is nothing that represents the Jewish culture more than the Passover. Because this defines them. This is when God brought them out of slavery and established them as a people 
and as a culture. And so this is where we find ourselves in today's passage. Jesus and his friends are celebrating the Passover meal or the Seder. And this is a ritualistic, very methodical meal. Every element, every food, every cup means something very specific. In the Passover meal, there are four cups that are passed. They have specific names. The first is the Kadush, which means I will bring out. The second cup is the Magid, I will deliver. The number Kat Hamazon, I will redeem. And the final cup, Halal, I will take. So reading from Luke 22, chapter 14, we, we read, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So this is Jesus celebrating Passover with his friends. And it has to be a, a bittersweet moment for him, full of complexities. He's looked forward to this. He's been eager for this because this is the time that he came for. And so having this final Passover meal with him, he is instituting and giving his people from this time forward a great gift. And over the course of the next few days, the world will change irreversibly. And yet it's all on his shoulders for this to happen. And so the physical and spiritual agony and suffering that he is about to have to, to endure has got to be in the back of his mind. And, and Jesus' human experience, his time as a man is, is coming to a close. So all of this is going on as they come to the meal together for the final time. For Jesus, it must have been like, like it would be for us to, to have dinner with our loved ones and our family, knowing that tomorrow morning we'll be going in for a very experimental surgery, one that there's little chance that we'll survive. Or it must have been like the film clip that we just watched. You know that you're going to be leaving. You know that you're going to die. And you've been trying to explain this to your friends, but they're taking it almost as a child. They're not quite understanding what you're telling them. And so in a very real way, you're alone in this. And you're doing everything that you can to express your love, this final meal that you're having together. It's fascinating that in the cosmic timeline that Christ's passion happens during Passover. It seems like it could have happened at any time, but it's happening at 
Passover, and this is remarkably symbolic, because Passover for the Jews meant literally deliverance, the end of bondage, the freedom from slavery. And it's in this context that Jesus institutes one of the two sacraments of the church, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Holy Communion, however you want to call it, it all means the same thing, and it refers to the sacrament that we're studying today. So continuing on, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. By choosing the Passover meal to institute this sacrament, Jesus is making a profound and irreversible statement. By using the bread and the cup during the Passover, he's interrupting the flow of this meal that has been ritualistically done very methodically, very carefully, very systematically for century after century. When Jesus came in from the desert after being tempted by the devil, the first thing that he does is he goes to a synagogue and he asks for the scroll of Isaiah, right? He unrolls it, reads this prophecy, I have come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. He rolls it up, pregnant pause, all eyes are on him, and he breaks into the moment and says something incredibly audacious. This prophecy has just been fulfilled. I'm the fulfillment of it, right? So the same kind of thing is happening here at the Passover. Jesus is breaking into this tradition and saying, I am the rest of the story. What has been done in the beginning of deliverance from, of Israel from slavery, I am the completion of that. I am here to redeem and set free all of mankind from the slavery to the prince of darkness. These are incredibly powerful claims done in a very audacious way. He's saying that the ritual of Passover is completed by him and that the ritual of Passover will no longer be complete without him. He's saying that in this one cup of the new covenant that he is offering, that the four cups are fulfilled, the bringing out, the deliverance, the redemption, and the taking back are all fulfilled in the one cup of the new covenant. So Christ grafts or interrupts this tradition and declares its fulfillment. 
In the same way that the Jewish people celebrate their freedom from slavery, from this point forward, all Christian men and women celebrate their freedom from the bondage of sin. And so now we have the Eucharist. Christ institutes this tradition, but what is it supposed to do? What does it mean to us? The first thing that Jesus says is, do this in remembrance of me. For Jesus to say to do this in remembrance of him, he's just tearing a page out of the Mosaic law and Jewish culture playbook. God is continually encouraging the Jews to remember things. So the Passover meal itself is just an exercise in remembrance. But if you go back through the narrative of the Old Testament and watch the, old, the Jews' culture being constructed, you see God constantly inviting them Erect an altar, pile up stones, create a monument so that when future generations pass by this way and they say, why is this pile of rocks here? You can then explain to the future, this is what God did here now. So for Jesus to say, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying the same thing. From this point forward, for all generations, as you come to this place, you will remember what God has done for you here. So each week, we come to the Lord's table. We linger over it. We do it inefficiently, on purpose, so that we can construct a context that every person can have a moment with the Holy Spirit in remembrance of what God has done for us through Christ. So is it more than that, though? Is this a mere memorial, which would be one side of the theological spectrum? Or am I going to pray over these elements in a little while and they will become literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which is the other end of the theological spectrum. In seminary, I had to study the theology of the Eucharist. And this was before I was ever migrating toward the Anglican Church. However, the Anglican Church has this Latin phrase known as via Medea by the middle way. And I've found that to be true in these theological polar opposites. I don't believe that we'll pray over these elements in a little while and Christ's body and blood will be present with us. But I do believe that it's a bigger deal than that we're just memorializing Christ's sacrifice for us. For you see, Jesus does this at Passover, and he says this is a new covenant. And to use the covenantal language is an important thing that Jesus is doing. For under the old covenant, there were plenty of rituals and sacrifices that were necessary for people to find atonement. And yet all the way through the Mosaic law, we never see God saying, this is mere symbol. Right? Everything that they did was pointing to the coming Christ. 
But it wasn't just symbolic in their culture. God would say, this is what you do to atone for your sin. Bring this sacrifice to the priest. So what was happening in their culture was something more than mere symbol. The Apostle Paul encourages believers and unbelievers and warns them, do not come to this table unworthily. If you do, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. If there isn't something deeply spiritual happening in this moment, it would be hard to believe what he's saying if it's just something that we're remembering. We can sit and remember Jesus' sacrifice anywhere we are. We can drive down the road and remember that. Jesus also says, I won't eat and drink of this again until I do it in the kingdom of God. And yet, just a few chapters before this, Jesus is saying, how can I explain the kingdom of God to you? And he boils it down saying, the kingdom of God is within you. So in a very real way, when we come to the Lord's table, we are coming bringing the kingdom of God, and Christ is present in the moment. So we participate in the moment of communion together as a memorial, looking back to the sacrifice of Christ. We also look forward to the coming banquet, the wedding feast of the Lamb. But we are also present in this very moment as the incarnation of Christ is in the lives of this body and in the lives of each individual person. So this isn't about the substance changing, but it is about substantial change. We do this for the continual remembrance of the sacrifice of the death of Christ and of the benefits which we receive because of that sacrifice. So as we have poured ourselves out in worship and we've constructed our worship in the ancient tradition so that literally we all participate, it's not just so that we're all involved that there are many people up here leading. It's because we are a body and we've constructed worship in such a way that this isn't something that you come to and get to just watch. This service isn't for your entertainment. This is something we must all do together. It's not a performance. And if it is a performance, it's we collectively together performing for God, that he might be glorified and blessed through our worship. So our worship service is constructed in a way that we pour ourselves out in worship before the Lord. We empty ourselves out before him. And then we come to the Lord's table and invite through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would fill us anew again. This is why we worship the way that we do. This is why everything boils down to this moment, so that we empty ourselves, so that he can once again fill us. And a beautiful, beautiful thing is happening when we come to the Lord's table. 
millions and millions and millions of our brothers and sisters winding backwards in history for century after century after century all the way back to the very evening that Jesus instituted this gift is the long line that we are participating in. But it's not just that we have this great history. Millions and millions and millions of our brothers and sisters who are alive today at this time in history are also coming around the Lord's table. And so we come around the Lord's table to have this mystery, this moment to commune with the Holy Spirit and invite Him to fully fill us again. But we also come around the Lord's table in communion with the entire body of Christ. This is one gift that Jesus gave us that as believers we do that represents our life in Christ and because of Christ and who we are in Christ. And so we come to the Lord's table to commune with God and to be in communion with each other. Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. And so it is with that posture that we will come today to the great thanksgiving. And as we prepare our hearts to move toward the Lord's table, I want to show one final clip that metaphorically shows what is happening this week. Today is Palm Sunday. It is a day that we welcome Christ the King. But this is the beginning of what is traditionally known as Holy Week. This weekend, this Friday is Good Friday, the day that we commemorate the willing sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. This is a big deal. Everything changed on the day that Christ gave his life. Next Sunday is Easter. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, this is a particularly sweet and special moment for Jesus is coming into Jerusalem knowing what's about to happen. And he's doing it willingly. And this film clip should prepare our hearts for what Christ has done for us. It is time. From here, I must go on alone. But you have to trust me, for this must be done. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Lucy. And farewell.
alive.
it's too late. He's gone. He must have known what he was doing.